Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. My name is Sylvan, and I will be your host. Today, we are back in Zurich West and on our way to the Techno Park. There we meet Melanie Gabriel. She is the co-founder of Expense Robot, a Swiss fintech startup that puts your expenses management on autopilot and makes it easier and more efficient with artificial intelligence. The startup closed a financing round of 1.7 million Swiss francs just before the Corona crisis. And we also launched a new collaboration. Today's episode was produced in cooperation with the ETH Entrepreneur Club. The student organization aims to inspire, educate and empower the next generation of entrepreneurs. They hold more than 40 events every year, resulting in an impressive alumni list of successful startups. Together, we host a live Q&A session where today's guest Melanie answers your questions. To participate in next week's session, follow ETH Entrepreneur Club and Swisspreneur on social media. But now back to the expense robot office. When we entered the startup office in the techno park, we quickly realized that this is not a normal startup office. Dog Yuki greets us enthusiastically and the big black unicorn on the wall underlines the ambitions of the team. We sit down on the sofa and the matching armchairs in the corner and start the interview. Before we get started with the episode, I would like to introduce you to SPB Startup. If you think that your company is a good fit for the Swiss Railways, get in touch with them or learn more about their startup programs at spbstartup.com. Melanie, a very well welcome to the Swiss Printer Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We are in the Techno Park in Zurich the hotspot of startups and entrepreneurship. And I would like to talk about your way, how you found your way into entrepreneurship. In 2012, you started your own company, your first company, Armar Au Revoir. Can you tell us a bit more about what led you to start your own company in 2012? Yes. So I was there with a friend and she had this very well known problem of having a wardrobe full of clothes uh, together with her three sisters. And she successfully sold it on, on Facebook. And we both together with a third friend found actually this would be a really great concept for an app because there in an app, you can have more the community feeling, you can have better user experience. Yes, and so the idea of Armach Orbach was born. It was a flea market 2.0 uh, available in German and French. This is also why this is the name of, mm -hmm. of it. Yes. This was how it all started. So basically uh, out of your own need and you saw a market opportunity. Exactly. Um, at the same time, uh, you were also still involved in other projects. And I can imagine that this is quite a, a difficult balance act to find between your own startup and other projects and engagements that you have. Exactly. How do you manage that? Yeah, so I, I guess that was already the first big learning from, from Armor uh, because I had Armor Horobar. I was already involved in Verona 3000, Verona 3000. Mm -hmm. And I also did my bachelor at the University of Basel at this time. And I think, and I'm very much convinced that uh, you need to be committed 200% to something. And this is also why this project Armor Horobar faded out uh, after a while. 
So that's the famous focus that gets quoted over and over again, exactly. right? Exactly. So maybe we can also talk about uh, Verona 3000. Um, it's, it's a very interesting project. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about what you actually did there and how this sort of very ambitious project was born. Yeah, sure. So I was, it actually already started before Arma Horbar. I was always interested in classical music and I did an internship at Lucerne Festival. And there I met this young composer and his theater director friend, who was also very young at the time. And they had this crazy idea that they wanted to build a huge music theater without any institution behind, but really from scratch with 100 teenagers from all over German-speaking Switzerland. And they really wanted to compose the music, do the play, everything on their own. And they were looking for someone who would support this crazy idea from a business side. <laughs> and this is how I, I joined them. And then in the end also led the, the whole project. And three years later in 2014, we actually performed the whole play uh, in front of 8,000 people and also were nominated for a European Music Award, which was really wow. great. <laughs> That's like, uh, you know, the, the highest success that you can get, I guess. I think so, yeah. And, and then still you decided to, to leave also that project um, and, and then go back to the startup world, so to say. Why did you decide to, to go back to the startup world and not continue with the passion of music that you mm -hmm. had? Um, so from the beginning, Verona 3000 was um, a project on time. So it was okay. completely clear that this is just um, a matter of time. We will do that once. And so there was never a second version, although now they're planning a second one, but I'm not uh, involved anymore. And at this time, I was speaking to many people and I felt that I wanted to kind of get out of my comfort zone again and learn something about a new industry. And while I was talking to different people and friends, um, there was one, um, the deputy CTO of Dismo, mm -hmm. who told me about this B2B company in Winterthur, who was at the time still a B2C company. Yeah, and uh, they were looking for someone and I apply and there was a great match. And this is how I ended up there. And I worked there for five, almost five years, while I also did, at the beginning of, of these five years, I also did my master's at the University of St. Gallen. So uh, you always had like this thing on the side that also kept you busy. Somehow, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then at this moment, you basically were head of marketing. Um, that was sort of like your way back uh, to the startup world. So you started in the startup world, had a detour uh, or another uh, project with the music and then going back to the startup world. And then at a certain point, uh, you decided to not be an employee, but becoming a co-founder and started your own company, Expense Robot. Exactly. Why did you say now it's the time uh, to start my own company and not just be part of a startup, which is also cool? I always felt this kind of excitement also with Verona and just to, to, to maybe make a, a short um, point to that. Sure. I don't think I mean, it is another industry, sure, it's not the tech industry, but at the same time, it had all the attributes of a startup. Uh, we, we, we had to convince investors, I mean, not investors, but foundations and like uh, institutions and sponsors and stakeholders to really invest in this uh, idea. I mean, at the beginning, everyone was telling us, uh, just do a, a theater play with a school uh, because this is never going to happen. So we had to come up with guerrilla tactics for marketing because our budget was kind of zero, we did a crowdfunding campaign. So all the things that normally startups do, we also had to do. 
So I feel in hindsight, it's not that different to what I'm, I'm doing today. But back to your questions about why did I, why did I change from Dismo to, to Expand Robot? I was so excited about the idea, um, but even more about the people. Um, I've known Davis for quite a long time. I often go mountain climbing with him. And so since he had this idea, I, was, I knew about it. And when we found out that it would actually make very much sense to come with my background and my expertise, um, it was quite clear that this would be a perfect match. And I was excited to start my own thing and really shape something from zero to one. Cool. And your team of co-founders, you are five co-founders. Mm -hmm. That's uh, an unusual high number yeah. for a Swiss startup. Does that make things easier or more complicated? Definitely easier, I would say, because we are very different. We have uh, quite complementary skills. And from the beginning, we could really, from day one on, we could just do everything in our area. We could build up the team. The responsibilities were clear. But I guess also the, for the investors, they knew from day one in what they would invest in, in which team they would invest in. It also gives a kind of stability into it because from the beginning, you're, you're complete, you're a strong team. You don't need to uh, waste a lot of money and time to find this, this kind of fit uh, with another senior uh, person. I'm very convinced about uh, this success factor. But you also have to uh, split the shares with more people, right? That's true. But I, I guess that that's just, um, in the end, it's a win-win situation. It makes sense because you're probably stronger together than Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you also get further, I'm convinced. Right. Let's also talk a bit about the market opportunity that you saw with uh, Expense Robot. You founded the company in uh, 2019. What did the market look like then? Uh, what sort of opportunity did you see that you could capture with a new startup? Mm-hmm. So the opportunity, I think, was twofold. So on the one hand, there are still a lot of companies out there that don't have anything when it comes to expenses and company credit card. Mm -hmm. So they're doing everything manually. And we all know the pain with filling in Excel sheets and um, making, gluing some receipts on a paper and handing it and sending it somewhere. So um, we just saw the opportunity of really having this value proposition of saving time, money, but also increasing the employee satisfaction because uh, people hate doing expenses. And so this was on the one hand, uh, one thing. Also, we often see that we are kind of the first touch point uh, where people have access to artificial intelligence in a practical way. So there was the, the first opportunity, but then also like, I mean, we are not the first one who are doing an expense tool. Um, but so there are some companies who already have one, but we just realized many of them are not happy with it because it's more a digitalization of expenses, but not really an automation. So you would still have to take like pictures exactly. and so on. Okay. And, and it doesn't read out everything. You need to type in everything and, and it takes, uh, it just kind of, distributes the, the task from, from the employee to, to the manager and the finance team. And we at Expense Robot really go one step further because we're doing the whole automation of the expense and company credit card processes. Nice. How do I have to, to imagine that? Because if you are not familiar with that process, that can be pretty difficult to understand. Like what's your unfair advantage about how do you automate the process? What was 
done manually before? Normally, in in like uh, companies where they don't use our tool mm -hmm. or or an expense um, management system, they have receipts. Often you forget it somewhere. Um, you have to glue it on a paper. You have to hand it into the HR to finance team. Then, like your manager, need to approve it and check every cavellate that you took um, manually and then this is not the end then it if some everything is complete which is often not the case um, but if it is complete it goes then to the finance team they need to read out type it into an excel again and then somehow like uh, reimburse the employee while they uh, export the, the the whole thing into the ERP system so it's just very tedious work it's very repetitive and very frustrating for all all the parties yeah and from a business perspective i guess very uh inefficient yes you yeah. waste a lot of time and resources on yeah. that and then of course also a lot of money absolutely. that you could have spent on, on something else absolutely and i mean one point is also it's not only that you really get insight into your data so how what what do people spend uh, money on and all these things. So it's not only that we kind of relieve them from, from the pain, but we also uh, put a lot of added value into it. So then you might even see more potential where you can actually save more money as a exactly. company, right? Exactly. Cool. Yeah. No, when you start a company in the early days, usually you don't have any investors yet. You don't have any money and therefore also face big challenges because we all know building a company is hard and difficult, right? Yeah. What were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in the early days? Yeah, it was definitely uh, convincing the investors mm -hmm. because, as I said, we are not the first uh, expense tool on the market. Yeah. And to kind of show our investors uh, that we make it differently and to, to, to show them uh, the difference between digitalization and um, automation mm -hmm. was quite, quite difficult. And at first they didn't really know why they should invest because there are many out there who do something similar in their eyes. So it's difficult for them to really understand the details because it's still a pretty complex matter, I can imagine. Yeah, on the one hand, but I guess it's more about the market opportunity because they said, well, there are already tools out there. So right. there's not really like a potential that you could scale and go, go big. Um, at the same time, I mean, we were quite lucky that we could, from the start, work with some companies mm -hmm. who were desperately looking for a solution like ours. Oh, great. And they uh, gave a lot of inputs. They tested our prototype. And this also gave us the assurance that, I mean, they gave us the assurance that they would uh, buy the, the tool, right. but also um, that, that the need is here. So we, mm -hmm. we really saw and could kind of... Um, show that we are solving a real problem with our solution. Were these like very well-known clients like big corporates, for example, that built also trust towards the investors? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that for sure also helped to have big no big name clients on the on the map there. Exactly. So we were um, like we then went the other way around. So we didn't go with the investors first, but we mm -hmm. were quite lucky to have um, a few well-known names at the beginning which bought into it because it was easier to convince the finance people than the investors. And with these names, together with uh, like our team, we then convinced the investors of the untapped potential in Switzerland, but also abroad. I think that's a very smart way of, of doing it because then you bootstrap first, mm -hmm. you show we can actually get revenue and then you go to investors. Yeah. That's a way better story than just asking for money up front. Exactly. 
Um, how do you actually make that happen to win these first clients? Because if you don't have anything yet and you're like a young startup, this can be super tricky, right? Yeah, I guess there it's again also with, with our diverse team. Uh, like um, we have a, a big network and especially Thomas and um, Philip who were working as CFOs and were uh, connected to a lot of finance people. Yeah. So they knew the hassle and they knew the people who were actually looking for a solution. In the early days with five founders and also potential first employees, you also have some salaries to pay and without the investors, that can also be challenging, right? Yeah. How did you solve that? Was that also with the revenue that you closed or did you do any other things that helped you get there? Exactly. This was uh, what, what we did. We had this uh, few names of companies and they paid up front. Uh, nice which helped them to cover the costs of those who are on our payroll. Yeah, I, I really think that this is the best setup that you can choose um, to also not give away too much equity too early on, right? So then basically the, the next part is actually now you started with the, with the first clients. You also got to the first investors. I would like to talk a bit more about these investment uh, that you got. Um, you closed the 1.7 million Swiss francs seed round just closely before Corona hit. So talking about good timing yeah. there, maybe can you walk us a bit through, you know, how the whole fundraising process went and how you actually ended up celebrating the closed uh, fi financing round mm -hmm. one day before uh, the stay at home ban was established. Yeah. 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 So when we talk about luck and good timing, yes, definitely. Uh, good timing is, is everything um, or makes it a big part in, in the startup world. And um, I mean, of course, uh, the financing round takes about six months. So it was not that this was just like poor luck, uh, but I'm, I wouldn't like n n negate the, this fact that just having the funding, uh, uh, the founding party one day before lockdown is really something. Um, Which makes a good story for a podcast, by the way. <laughs> it makes a very good <laughs> story, yes, indeed. Yeah, I mean, um, talking of Corona, of course, uh, I'm so grateful we are all all are because the the financing round really gives us time but also security um, we are in the expense and travel industry so this is uh, an industry that was very heavily hit by corona and we also had this problem at the moment because we only uh, hired two um, new salespeople mm -hmm. and they um, felt the impact and there again, we were very happy to be a startup in Switzerland because there is this option of Kurzarbeit, of short-term work, um, which helped a lot uh, in order to not having the pain of, of letting go people, which we are very grateful for. Absolutely. And now we're also being very optimistic because we also see that the corona also has kind of an impact on on companies because they realize that, oh, maybe we should do something when it comes to digitalizing mm -hmm. finance, financial operations. So yeah, we're looking positively to it and, and hope that um, now it goes back to normal. So short time, we would say it's a challenge for yeah. your business because you know investments get put on hold and so on. Mm -hmm. But long term, you see a bigger chance because companies get pushed more towards digitization. Yeah. Okay. I would like to focus a bit more on the fundraising uh, mm -hmm. again, because there, you know, really closing 1.7 million in the seed round is uh, quite an achievement, I would yeah. say. 
how do you actually do the negotiations that took part for six months? Did you like agree on specific milestones where you said, okay, this is where we want to be and this is where we have to go as a company in order to close the investment or to build trust? How did these negotiations and uh, the six months go by, basically? Of course, you, you define milestones and we had a few milestones that we had to achieve. And I guess Lars afterwards can talk more about, about this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it comes all down to showing the market traction, showing that there is a, a huge uh, untapped potential that where, where the investors see actually, yeah, this money really helps to, to, to scale up very fast and to, to bring this tool to the market and not only in Switzerland, but also beyond. Was there anything else besides traction and the strong team that you have that, you know, helped the investors to really make the investment case? What really helped, and of course it goes back to, to market traction, but what really helped is of course they talked to our clients okay. and these clients told them how they perceive uh, the challenge, uh, how we solved them, their, their problems. Mm -hmm. And that helped massively just to have this calls with, uh, between our clients and our investors. Great point. Did you actually set them in touch or how did that, did that happen? Yeah, we, of course we, I mean, we weren't during the calls because uh, otherwise it would be biased, um, sure. but we of course in, introduced them so they could talk right. on their own. Yeah. Yeah. And also in terms of revenue, did you feel that there's like a magic number of, uh, you know, the revenue amount that you need to have or a magic number of amount of clients that you need to close in order to get to the seed stage funding readiness, if I can call it that way? I think it really depends the industry also. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can, we only know it for, for, for our company and our setting. Right. So I wouldn't want to make a claim for, for everyone. So it's hard to tell. So you also talked about the, the Corona effect that, you know, short time challenge, but long term, it's a big opportunity for you. Uh, one thing that also goes hand in hand there is basically hiring people and also, you know, how you actually work with your current employees. Mm -hmm. How do you manage this part if, you know, the whole physical aspect is suddenly removed out of the equation? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> and um, there is not one answer, but I can I can give a, one example. I had, uh, I interviewed uh, or we interviewed a designer, mm -hmm. uh, which we saw during the interview because this was before uh, Corona. But then the whole, the first day, it was already during Corona. So it's just the, the onboarding, the introducing him to the team, everything happened on Slack and on, on Google Hangout. So you need to come up with, with creative ideas and, and really make this person felt welcome. Right. And yeah, we, we tried that with um, introducing him and, and making sure everyone gets a chance to also talk to him. Mm -hmm. Of course, virtually, but camera helps. Uh, we do daily stand-ups where we uh, catch up with, with them. We also do um, like... Uh, weekly happy hours so so th these are all the little things that help and i guess since we are a tech company and we are using digital tools on, on a daily basis i i would say that for us it was easier to make the switch to to home office because already now we are just working digitally yeah, yeah. just keep going right yeah on the other hand, I think you also uh, realized that, you know, working on creative things like brainstorming, having like real sessions where you're physically in the same room, work on a whiteboard whatsoever, mm -hmm. that this is super challenging to, to do virtually. Mm -hmm. 
do you have any replacement or recommendation how to go about that and solve that issue? Mm -hmm. New startup idea. <laughs> <laughs> New startup. Yeah, go, go make it happen. I feel that you can never replace the, the moment of being in a room locked down and having um, stuff where you can really work on for, for a quite, quite number of time. But there are, of course, options. Um, we used, uh, for example, Figma or Sketch is, is another tool mm -hmm. where we just um, put in all our, our brainstorming, where we screenshotted things and, and exchanged ideas. Um, we had sessions where we discussed things. We, we worked a lot with different questions. Um, what do you think uh, could this be? Um, and so on. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't found the way of replacing that that feeling to be really be in a room and i'm very much looking forward to go back to the office but of course you need to be creative even in those circumstances and digital tool help to kind of still be able to brainstorm absolutely you know when talking about the digitization it's also a likely scenario that you know this current status will take on for like keep us busy for a bit longer mm -hmm. What would you do then? You know, you cannot replace it. You cannot get the same physical feeling done remotely. Would there be anything that you would change or adapt uh, compared to the things that you already did right now? If that this is really, you know, staying there for longer than expected. You kind of need to bring the whole um, creation thing into the, the digital even more. And for example, one tool that I really like is uh, in Zoom, you can do like this uh, breakout sessions mm -hmm. where you have, for example, uh, first you have a group of different people who can give inputs and then you work on one question in different breakout sessions. And I guess this comes close to, okay, let's make a brainstorming session with the whole co-founders and the whole team. But then um, the designer and, and I go into a different room and take the inputs and, and work on them then there. So I, I think these are kind of ways how you have to recreate the situation and, and, and yeah, the, the feeling of being together and making magic happen. Probably the closest you can get, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. You know, now you're also growing. I mean, you closed the seed financing of 1.7 million. Um, your team is grow growing pretty rapidly mm -hmm. despite the Corona yeah. uh, times. How do you go about finding the right people, making sure that you hire the right people in the right place? We spent a lot of time in finding and searching for the right people. So it's quite, or it was quite a, a priority for us to, mm -hmm. we had several uh, interviews per day and we're looking for, for cool people who, who are, are a great fit and a great, great addition to, to our team. How do you actually test that, whether they are? <laughs> because that's always a, a, a billion dollar question, right? Of course, of course. <laughs> I feel it, it helps when uh, we are still a small team. So you can also allow that everyone gets uh, a few minutes or uh, half an hour with the person. Right can talk about random things, not only the, the, the job, um, sure. and I guess that helps. But of course, you never know. It's only when you, when you work together that you kind of get to know the person uh, re really well. Yeah, I mean, for, for us, we, we were talking about that before our recording, um, about the, the expenses and that it might be not the super most uh, exciting topic. Uh, and when people were looking, when people are looking for jobs, they might, might think, okay, what should I do with expenses? Mm -hmm. um, but we, it's actually, when you go a little bit deeper, people, like, especially for sales 
people it's a very attractive way to sell something because the problem is something everyone knows it's something that it's it's straightforward the pitch is straightforward mm -hmm. and also the finance teams are really looking for for a solution so you can do you can close deals very fast yeah. but also for for engineers there uh, at first it's like what should i do with expenses <laughs> but if you look closer like nobody out there has really solved this challenge of really extracting all the information from a receipt and so when it comes to engineering, it's really a crossover of different discipline of OCR and deep learning and cloud computing, which is quite, quite a, a challenge and, and an exciting challenge for, for an engineer to, to solve. So well, for me, that sounds like you are solving a real problem mm -hmm. for, for them, which is amongst your top priorities. Mm -hmm. You know, when thinking about that, many startups might start out and just think, oh yeah, what we're doing is like top priority for other people, but mm -hmm. then down the road, they have to realize, oh, it's actually not the case. Mm -hmm. Did you do it like, besides obviously talking to, to clients, but before doing that, did you do like any testing, any, any research on that? Or was that really also, you know, coming out of your own need with your CFO connections mm -hmm. um, that you had there to really validate that problem? Because for me, it's sometimes super difficult to understand whether you really are in that spot or not. As you said, we all knew the, the hassle mm -hmm. and we were all hating uh, doing expenses. I sometimes waited for six months until I did it because it was just like not on my list of priorities. And then it gets worse and worse, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, since w from the very beginning, we had uh, clients and companies that on the one hand tested, but also paid. Mm -hmm. we saw that it's not just something because sometimes you, you people say yeah I, I would definitely buy it but then they don't if it's on exactly. the market yes. and since we had them and they were already paying for the product which I think makes difference um, and then they really tell you whether they like your product or not if they put money on the table That's right. I think yeah this was the, was our way to go and be sure to, that this is a product that that can be successful so I think that's cool. So you start out of your uh, known frustration or problem, mm -hmm. and then you see that people actually validate it by putting money on the table, mm -hmm. and then you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, one last point from the operational perspective mm -hmm. that I would like to tackle is, now you're growing your company, you are five co-founders. Um, how do you organize your team? How do you organize amongst your co-founders? What's your like organization structure? despite the daily stand-ups that you have, but how do you like stay in touch and ensure good communication now also with a growing team? Of course, the stand-ups help. We also have uh, management meetings uh, where we just share with each other what, what is the, mo the, the biggest priority from this week, uh, what is going on. Of course, now with Corona, we have that more often. And it's a lot of like also between two people and we we get together and, and um, exchange ideas and, and problems or, or discuss. Mm -hmm. So I guess one thing is the structure and it helps that we kind of cover all the areas that, that are needed for a successful um, setup of, of a company. That yeah. helps because the responsibilities are clear. Mm -hmm. It's not that I do something from Lars and like, it's, it's really clear who is responsible for Maybe that. Maybe you can also quickly walk us through, through the different roles that you have amongst yeah. your team. Yeah, sure. So uh, Lars is uh, the chief customer officer. He's doing everything relating to, to sales. Uh, then we have Philip, who is the CEO of the company. He was very much involved, of course, also with the 
raising the round and, right. and closing it. Then uh, Davis, who actually had the idea of, 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 of Expense Robot, who is our CTO. Mm -hmm. And then Thomas, who is doing the CFO role. So he's actually our target group. <laughs> so we can also test stuff with him. Perfect. And uh, yeah, then me, I'm, I'm the chief marketing officer. So now, um, besides your role as chief marketing officer, you are also very active as a board member of the WeShape Tech uh, mm -hmm. initiative, where you are promoting and aspiring for a greater diversity in tech, uh, which I think is fantastic and very much needed also here in Switzerland, mm -hmm. not only in the US. So can you tell us a bit more, why is this important to you? Why did you decide to get involved there? So WeShape Tech, as you say, said, is a, is an effort uh, to really who is dedicated to, to great diversity. And uh, an important point there is that it's on purpose that we are not called uh, women shape tech, but we shape tech, because it's not only about uh, genders, but it's also about age, um, socioeconomic backgrounds and education. So this is really dear to our heart. And I'm a person who, I mean, I see also in the tech environment, there are not as many women, also female founders, um, like as men. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, there are many reasons for that. And you could talk uh, very long about why this is the case and what should, should change. But I, I like to be very proactive. And I felt that um, by investing my free time into an organization that pushes forward and, and like gives people a, a stage and, and gives people like tools that they can use to actually have success in the tech space. I guess that's my way of, of doing something against it because I, I hate when you just um, say that everything is bad, I'd rather do something about it or leave Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. Saying uh, bad stuff about something and not changing anything is the easy part. Yeah, definitely. But it's still striking that, you know, out of the five co-founders at Expense Robot, you're the only woman. So why do you think that there are not more female founders out there? That's an interesting question. <laughs> um, so I think taking a step back, it's not, of course, not just a problem for, for the startup scene. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's more striking when it comes to, we, we, we talk more about it in the startup scene, right. because you would think or hope that startups who are striving for innovation would know about the evidence, the, the research that shows that more diverse teams are outperforming homogenous teams. So just to say, I guess it's also a problem in other areas, but in, in, in startup, it's more striking. There are many reasons and many, many, also there's a lot of research about it. I think um, it has to do with socialization and also the lack of role models sometimes, especially for younger kids. If you only know doctors and entrepreneurs as a male version, it's hard to kind of think that this could actually be something for yourself. Right. Um, then I also think it's like unconscious biases. There is this really great example from again, or music orchestra, where they also had the problem that they had almost zero uh, female uh, mu musicians. Mm -hmm. And then they introduced a curtain and they ma made um, auditions uh, where the kind of uh, the jury wouldn't see whether this was a, a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. And over the years, like suddenly they had up to 40% of women, which shows um, 
they really took the brightest people and not only um, the ones that look alike. And then I guess one point is also um, lack of imagination. Um, what do I mean with that? When you look at the VC um, landscape, mm -hmm. it's very male dominated and um, you see it very well with the femtech uh, industry. There you have a lot of female founders. Mm -hmm. And um, it's only since recently where they kind of have uh, invest investors that see the opportunity. And yeah, I think it would also help to have more um, diverse investors who kind of can imagine what the problems are of the other part of, of the population. And what do we actually need to do in order to get there? I mean, maybe you creating a, a huge exit and then going on the other side and becoming a VC would be one option. Yeah, that's certainly a, a nice option. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess with, with when I was saying about smaller kits, there are great uh, initiatives. Like one is uh, the Educator Foundation. They are putting a lot of effort into making games with kindergarten um, kids um, in order to teach them like computational thinking. So this is one thing. Then when it comes to um, uh, unconscious bias, there is, for example, this great um, recruiting uh, tool uh, called uh, Diversifier from Wittyworks. Mm -hmm. But there is also a whole book called uh, What Works from Iris Bonnet. So for those who are interested in how to kind of change your organization, that's definitely a start. And then I guess it's really about role models and also about uh, like myself as a female founder to really like go out there, talk about it and, and give other people the, the, the possibility to kind of exchange. Because I remember the time I did my bachelor thesis about female CEOs and C-level. And I, I still remember this, this feeling of, I mean, I didn't know them. So I just um, wrote them an email and was hoping that at least one replies. And uh, there were many that re replied and said, yeah, I connect, I, I make time for you. And just this was had such an impact on myself to really see them thrive and, and see, wow, one day this could be me, actually. And I mean, this is also what we do at WeShare Tech. We really like provide them a stage uh, of female role models, but also men, because we need we need both. It's not just a, a male, a female thing. Sure. And we do workshops, events, and we'll probably also launch a podcast where we put uh, uh, role models on stage. And I guess, um, yeah, it's it's the whole society that can benefit from from a more more diverse environment absolutely as you said the research is super clear mm -hmm. yeah now you are also a role model you're a female founder of a tech startup here in switzerland so what advice would you give to other female founders or potential female founders mm -hmm. to be female founders yeah yeah the first thing is uh, definitely find a topic that you're super excited about and that you can imagine to spend a lot of time and years on it so that's the first thing Another thing that helped myself uh, a lot is um, find your peers, because sometimes you feel like I'm the only person on this planet who has this problem or is insecure or doesn't know what to do next. Um, and it really helps to exchange with other entre entrepreneurs and just talk to people, learn from them. That's that's re really something. And it also helps to kind of have this trusted circle of advisors that um, especially when you have contradicting feedback uh, at the beginning, for example, of, of, a, of a startup, it helps to just know because people know your values, um, what, how you are, and it helps to really kind of filter these feedbacks. Yeah, 
I, I guess that's it. And I can only encourage uh, the, the, the female and, and, and also the, the male potential founders out there because it's really a, a privilege to tap into your full potential and, and have the, the possibility to shape uh, the tomorrow. Just do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, maybe also looking a bit into the future, you know, with the 1.7 million on the bank uh, of expense robot, what are your plans for the future? Like, where's your journey heading to? We definitely use and used already um, the the money for hiring great people. Um, Sales is one example, customer success, but also a lot of... uh, engineers to really um, drive our, our, our uh, software forward. And it, when it comes to, to our product, we have a lot of uh, ideas and, and already a lot of features in store. And we have this vision of really building a software that covers the whole ecosystem of expenses. And yeah, this is definitely something we put all our, uh, our like passion to it. And then another point is definitely Switzerland is one country, uh, but we are currently already looking uh, into other places. And yeah, you will probably hear uh, soon about it. Awesome. Yeah, Switzerland is hopefully just the start, just the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So before we close the episode, uh, we have some rapid fire questions for you. Let's start with the first one, night or morning person? I would say night and morning person, because as a startup person, you need to be both. But then you just don't sleep anymore. <laughs> you have to sleep because it, it's helpful. But but depending the tasks, uh, it's good to be both. Agree. Happiness or wealth? Happiness. Why do you choose happiness? I mean, you can only say one word, so I had to choose one. I think also the, the reason why you are an entrepreneur is because it, it, it makes you excited to, to wake up in the morning and to really shape things and have impact. I, I relate that to happiness. And, and of course, wealth uh, is then hopefully um, like the consequence out of it. The result out of it, yeah. yeah. Female or male founder? <laughs> I would say more female founders, but definitely needs both. Yeah. Yeah. As you said before, diversity is key. So that makes sense. It's a mix. Black or gray? Gray. Why? <laughs> because I never saw life or it's just things in general in black and white. I think uh, that's where the magic lies in, in the gray zones. Probably it's only black and white back at the university, right? <laughs> yeah. Speed or patience? Speed. I mean, as a startup, that makes a, a lot of sense, yeah. I guess. <laughs> cool. So that was it for the questions. Is there anything else that you would like to add or that we have not talked about yet? No, I'm, I'm, thank you for having me. And it was a great pleasure to be here. And yeah, I'm excited to hear all the other stories from other female entrepreneurs. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure talking to you and hearing the story of Expense Robot and all the best for the future. And we look forward to hear, see and read more about you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the content, we would be thrilled to receive your rating on Apple Podcasts. That way you not only support Swisspreneur, but also help other entrepreneurs discovering the show and finding more valuable information on how to run their businesses. Next week, we will already be back with an all new episode of the Swisspreneur Show. So we hope to see you again then for a new episode.